When you walk out of here today, don't be afraid to remind our government that they work for us! You must leave the area immediately. If you refuse to leave the area, you will be arrested for North Carolina General Statute. Under North Carolina Stand in the gap. You've got to be subject to the law, whether you have on blue jeans or blue uniforms. What is right is right is right. I don't give a damn what it is. Because guess what? I'm ready to go to jail and die about it. Think globally, act locally. We need to understand what the global agenda is, but we need to act locally to counter it. And we need to do it in a way that occupies peace. We need to do it in a way that is going to make connections with each other locally so that we see each other as human beings. I'm gonna leave you with three simple words. Integrity, dignity, and community. And a lot of people were seeing politics at that time, but I was seeing revival. Yes, revival was coming through the realm of politics. Amen. And, uh, and that momentum and that movement is still in our country. Yes, sir. We just need to find avenues to harness it and yes. where, where, it, where it manifests itself. Stand that flame. We're, we're uh, you know, the move of God is strong in our nation mm -hmm. today. The word of God teaches us in the book of Psalms. It says that if I had wings like a dove, then I would fly away and be at rest. It's released representing the soul of Andrew. To get this into the, into the public eye, uh, we're trying to win this war and we can't do it without your help. All right, all right, all right. This is Podcast La Renaissance. While the revolution may not be televised, we shall podcast La Renaissance. And today I'm going to continue my experience with the People's Convoy, which lasted about 90 days. I don't have a way of really measuring that because, you know, I started in North Carolina around February... Actually, January, I started in North Carolina, went up to Chicago to see my dad. He was driving across the country. Um, so I'm in Chicago. We spent like two weeks there. Then I met him again in L.A. And so I was driving across the country the whole time, just taking my time. So by the time I got to L.A., you know, I spent two weeks there. Um, you know, just living the beach life out there. And the whole time, it was on the road that I began to see the convoy unvelop, unfold. And it was funny because on the way out, I was doing a podcast, one of my older podcasts that I don't really follow up on anymore, but I was like, the truckers should get together and do something about this. And they did. As I drove across the country, I, I found this out. And so, yeah, last episode, part one of three, um, there might be a 
part three and a half at this point, but I talked about how we got there, right? I just happened to be needing to drive back across the country with the rental car that had to be back in North Carolina. So I needed to drive back and they, the People's Convoy gave me an opportunity to travel across the country with a group of people, which was, you know, why would I pass that up? So in part one, we went from L.A. or Atlanta. I went from L.A. to D.C. with them, but it was really Atlanta we started. And I won't bore you with the details, but we ended up in D.C. So if you want the details and what happened there, you know, that was 11, 12 days or so. And, you know, I got into details there. This is part two. And I know that I said I was going to do it like a week later. It's been a couple weeks. We'll get around to it. I'm going to work on my schedule, but this is part two. And mostly this episode is going to center around what happened in, not D.C., I guess, Hagerstown, the raceway where the People's Convoy was camped out of for, I don't even remember now. It's been, um, so we're in July already of 2022 and this was back in what was it march yeah march of 2022 so it's been a few months and there's a lot to cover still so let's jump right on into it after this brief disclaimer look i'm going to be very critical of the convoy the people's convoy and even the 1776 restoration movement in this podcast it is not because i hate them i'm angry at them i don't want to see people wasting their time, especially good-hearted people who are seeking the truth. I've been through a lot in my life. I'm, I'm still young, but I've been through a lot in regards to protests and how to get a message across and what things actually make a difference overall. And I have to share that experience, and it sounds harsh, but I just have to share it in a certain light. To really get the message out there because I don't want to see people waste time like I did. So if it seems like, oh, you're just bashing, 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 I hear people say it all the time. I'm not trying to bash any movement. I wouldn't even, I don't even really like to bash BLM at this point. Guys, I'm seriously like unbiased. But I have to tell my experiences as I see what I went through. And that's just the way it is. Without further ado, I'm going to jump into a quick interlude, and we'll go into part two of my adventures with the People's Convoy. Brief interlude. I have a website, and I'm looking for writers. If you're a, if you're a writer, I don't even care if you're a talented writer or not. Whatever you see yourself as, if you're passionate about what you believe in, I want you to contact me. Contact at HealingLaw.com. Contact at HealingLaw.com. It's not that website. I just don't remember my email for the main website. And, you know, I'm not trying to reveal this website just yet. I'm looking for talented writers. It could be politics or whatever. And again, it's not about talented writers. I shouldn't say it. It's about if you're just passionate about what you believe in, I have a space where you can share your opinion. And I would like, I'm looking for writers. So if you're interested in writing and sharing your opinion and your life experiences through the lens of government and politics and law, Hit me up, contact at HealingLaw.com. Without further ado, let's get into part two of my experience with the People's Convoy and why it failed. So in part one, we get to D.C., we get to Hagerstown, we're in camp. 
that was an explosive night. I don't remember what details I gave out in the last one, but it was a great night that night. You know, there was all kinds of things happen. Like, so many people were there. Coming from Pennsylvania to uh, Hagerstown, Maryland was, like, tremendous. A lot of energy. It was so, it was an experience, that's for sure. Because coming across, I used to be able to cut across the convoy and record the whole length of it. But by the time we got to Pennsylvania, I just couldn't get to the head of it. I, I couldn't find the head of it. It was so long. And we're talking about we're doing six hours of driving, eight hours of driving. I couldn't get ahead of it by being in the left lane. It wasn't because they were blocking it. They did a very good job the whole time of maintaining one lane. And I really appreciated that. They were within their rights. They drove the speed limit, maintained their lane. So after the long expedition from Atalanto to D.C., I'm just if I say D.C., just understand I'm talking about Hagerstown, really. Maryland, which is what, an hour from D.C. We settled down in the camp at the Hagerstown Speedway. And huge audience waiting for us. I got ahead of it because I took a shortcut. I took a shortcut. I looked at the map. So, you know, I was doing a food delivery out in L.A. I got good at looking at the map, taking shortcuts. I took a shortcut to get ahead of it. And I got way ahead of it. And if I didn't, I, you know, it was it took hours for them just to go a few miles. It was, I'm, t I'm telling you, this was massive. At this point, there had to be, in my estimation, a thousand vehicles in the convoy itself arriving, much less thousands of people waiting to see them. 2,000 people, perhaps. I mean, so let's say that night in Hagerstown on the arrival, 4,000 people is a safe estimate. We get there, we settle in, there's people guiding traffic immediately telling you park here park here park here and boom sleep for the night we all camp out in the cars great experience i stayed there for a little while and over time you know you really just continued to see support massive support amazing amounts of support but one thing that i noticed really early on that really started to because I'm telling you, I came in objectively. I didn't come in like, oh, I, I'm here to support the convoy no matter what it does. No, I stand for God and what's right and the most I. And the truth, no matter what. That is what I stand for no matter what. So I'm just watching and observing. And I'm stating how I feel nonstop to anyone who I have the time to, you know, communicate with. I mean, within certain extents, because, again... I receive a lot of information covering, you know, covering the event. I received a lot of information. If I deliberately wanted to attack the movement, I would have, and I didn't. Because they're just, everyone's got flaws, and I'm not just going to sit there exposing the flaws unless it's to encourage them to go in the right direction. And that was how I stated my opinion. And people don't like that. That's fine. You know, most people really can't understand that. That's fine. It's not anything that I have control over. It just is what it is at that point. So it's like day two, I believe. Maybe it was day three. Uh, convoy settled in. People are still pouring in. Support's still coming in. It is like a carnival or a festival. Everything's free. The amazing amount of support. You know, I got a blanket. I still have the blanket to this day. It had like cute little dogs on it. You know, there was... 
food galore, like great food, like Cliff Bars, cases of Cliff Bars, cases of like good chips, like, and no one was, ta- there, there wasn't enough people to take it all. It just kept pouring in. By this time, there was not only one flatbed stacked with donations, you know, five feet tall. We were carrying things onto the second flatbed. The the second flatbed was mostly water and all that. And uh, then there was a, what are they called? Uh, it's not a reefer because it's not refrigerated. What do you call it? Like an, oh, man. What is a, it's like an extended box truck trailer. I don't know what they're called. Can't believe I don't know the word for that one. Um, toiletries. There was a bunch of toiletries. You know, toilet paper, paper towels, napkins, and it was about to rain. So you know, one of the first things I pitched on on was getting those into this enclosed trailer before the rain and covering up the donations of food. And I really got to see how extensive the donations were. And th- to this day, it is July tenth, Sunday. I, there is still a truck with donations in it that has not been moved. I don't know where it's at, but I'm telling you, there were so many donations that four months later, there are still... It's It was ridiculous how much uh, they were able to receive and how much support they got. And that was probably one of my first experiences, was moving the toiletries into the trailer... Because I, I like to keep to myself, and that's a problem that would arise, especially when we went back to California. That'll be episode three, but I like to keep to myself. So, you know, I'm late at night, I was out there with a couple people, it's like two or three in the morning, and we're trying to cover up these donations, get them watertight with the, tar- the tarps that were out there, because no one else was doing it, and it was starting to rain, it was going to rain that day. And there was so many paper towels and paper products that were just going to get ruined by being in the rain. And so we do that. And, you know, that was just... I, I just say all that to illustrate how immense the support was. You're talking about two flatbreads and an enclosed trailer. I guess that's what you call it, huh? Full of donations. And that was just the start. That was the very beginning. The... By the end, I don't know how many donations there were. It was outrageous. Alright, but we'll get into that in a moment. One of the first things that I saw that showed me that group mentality never works, which I didn't think it would. I had my sus I suspected if you guys hear the hear that chirping in the background I got. I'm out in my van recording this. Um and I you know, I'm kinda on the road still. I got some chickens. Little babies still, 11 of them. Trying to find, I'll find them at home soon, but they're settling in for the night. But every once in a while, they get a little stirred up and start chirping. But, um, all right, so I just had to look up the dates. It was March 5th when we got there, which was a Saturday. So it was the following Saturday that I witnessed, I guess it wasn't, you know, again, I'm trying to go through this in my mind and then compare it with what I can piece together. That following Saturday, I was just walking around. I wasn't streaming. I wasn't covering anything. And I saw this ABC News reporter from D.C. standing, okay? So I call him a melanin rich man. You know, that's what it, he was melanin rich, which means, you know, he had darker skin, right? 
Because I think black is like a slave term. It is. So, you know, why why enslave your brothers with terminology? But, um, that's a... <laughs> you know, this just goes to show you why I don't get along with most people. Because I, I, I'm just smashing through things. I'm not even funny about it. It's just the way it is. A melanin rich man surrounded by a bunch of Caucasians. <laughs> it's the easy way to put it. He had not said anything, guys. This ABC reporter was there to cover it. And meanwhile, the whole week you hear, why isn't the mainstream media covering this? Why isn't the mainstream media covering this? Well, guess what? He was there covering it. And they're hurling questions at him. It was actually kind of calm at first. But there were two agitators. One, I'm pretty sure, was that trucker from the weeks prior that pinned me out and tried to make me like the enemy. The other was Defender of Ants, who was sitting there with his camera streaming, trying to heighten the scenario, get people agitated, build them up, so that he would have something to record. That's what he was doing. And I don't think he was a paid agent or anything. That's just what he was doing. I don't even think he knows that that's what he was doing. But he would come in and say, yeah, 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 get him, get him. He would stick the camera in everybody's face. And like, yeah, get him. And then walk away. Because he wasn't going to get involved. Meanwhile, I'm literally standing there like, guys, this is what BLM does. This is what BLM does. And it was, it was an odd experience because I had... People were mad at me for saying that, but yet women, <laughs> grown women came and stood behind me for protection. It was weird. I'd never seen such, I'd never had that in my life. They stood behind me for protection because I was speaking the truth and they knew what was happening was wrong. And they were still heckling me from the back, but they were behind me, not to like be in an assault position, but because they wanted me to lead them. <laughs> I'm telling that's what happened. So, <laughs> there we go. There, there's the other 25% of y'all listening. Just offended. Oh, Lord. What's he saying? But I'm just telling you how I see things, though. They were heckling this guy. He's try He's getting ready to report on what the convoy is. Honestly, he's there. He doesn't have a script. He is literally going to say what he sees. And what he saw in that moment was terrible. He was being heckled. He wasn't even on air. He hadn't. If he had said something untrue and the audience began to heckle him, that'd be one thing. He didn't even have a chance to report. He was being heckled. And this would later hit the streamers. And I knew that. I didn't even actually know that. I just know that I was the one, because I've been to BLM protest. And I had told... Someone in that group that I supported Trump. A year later, they're telling people I'm a Trump supporter. I was at January 6th at Trump rallies. And they're getting groups of, they're getting mobs against me. And none of it was true. I, I mean, not that it even matters. None of that was true. So I'm not going to let any, like the media are my allies at like any event, basically. Media kind of sticks together because the either side doesn't care they'll they'll throw you under the bus at the moment he can't so i'm standing up for this guy i'm like yo guys this is what blm does just hear him out what has he said like nothing he didn't say anything and and the women got it and no one could say anything this one guy stuck a can in my face 
he, I, I've had the same thing, and WYSIWYG would later do this, and I just had a phone call with him the other day about this, where it's like somebody sticks a camera in my face, and they're like, well, what do you think about it? And you just stand still and speak the truth, and then they can't even argue about it. Anyhow, I'm being very long-winded about it, but I see this happen. I go to security after that, because basically he packed up. He didn't feel comfortable there anymore. I don't blame him. And they, he, to my knowledge, he never made a report to the news of it. He never made a story about how he was heckled off. He could have. He was being genuine and honest. Like, as far as I, like, it was an honest guy. It really was. He never, he never reported. They could have spun it so bad. They could have made it look so terrible. And I told security this, White Lightning specifically, who would later get kicked out himself because they were just kicking everyone out. Because paranoia was spreading through the movement. And, you know, it just, especially as we sat there. So, anyways, that was really just one incident in Hagerstown. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't that big. Like, that was one thing. That was a huge deal. After that, things were kind of, like, calm for a while for me. You know, there was, like, some interactions where some guy got on a CB and tried to drag everyone down to D.C. before the organizers had said, hey, we're going to go do this. Because they were trying to plan. They didn't want anybody. They, they, listen, the organizers, you can shame them for this and that, and they didn't do enough. Their main concern was not turning this into January 6th, too. Like, they didn't want to lead people into that situation, and they did not. Now, you know... In anything, there is risk. And, you know, even when they just did what they did, which was just circle the beltway. So they so they squelched that one guy. There was rumors he got kicked out. He apologized later on the CB saying, hey, guys, I'm sorry. I'm a veteran. I just really care about this, and I want to see this happen. They squelched that. But then the next day, what they do, you know, we all know now, they drove the D.C. beltway. And they did that day after day after day after day after day after day after day. Well within their rights, mind you. They were 1,000% within their rights to go down there. They could send a billion vehicles and drive the Bellway. That, as long as they're moving and not blocking traffic, which was a mistake 1776 made. In some regards, but then again, it's like, you know, sometimes you got to be a rebel, I guess. But I don't agree with it. But I'm not going to say it was a mistake for 1776 to block the interstate. But it is unlawful. For, with good reason. So, the People's Convoy circles the Beltway. They do that over and over and over. And, you know, meanwhile, we're there in Hagerstown for a month. And rumors are spreading like wildfire. It's getting crazy. It was around the time that Coy Griffin got tried. It was actually the day... It was the, it was the day of the event. Uh, the, 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 no, it was the day after, sorry, the day before Coy Griffin went to trial, whatever that day was, I'm not looking that up right now. The day before he went to trial, I'm, um, man, okay, excuse me, because now I'm remembering the details. The day Coy Griffin went to trial, Ricky Bobby was down there, now I know him, as Simon was down there, Simon's still going strong, the 1776 Convoy, Inside Four Walls podcast was down in D.C. Um, for 
the hearing. And even before that, people were going into D.C. I went down there with uh, Stewie and uh, who <laughs> Thomas, who became famous because of, uh, what's his name, Travel Fund 69's channel. We went down in D.C. on a rainy day, and, you know, we honked and all that. It was fun. Um, we didn't do much. A lot of people went down there. That was, like, the first time we went to D.C., like, downtown D.C. It was fun. And I would... Uh, I have footage of that. I'd like to release someday, but, and I'd like to interview them both actually on my podcast, but that, that's a long-term situation here. In the short term, we're back to the Coy Griffin trial. So day one of the Griffin trial, Ricky Bobby's down there. And that's when I met Ricky Bobby. We're down in DC at the federal courthouse. He is blaring music so loud. Dancing in the street in front of the courthouse, like put, dude, it was awesome. He was hyping up everybody. People would yell at him, and he was very respectful about it. He had a lot of energy. It was amazing. I was hanging out with him and Inside Four Wheels Pod, Four Walls Podcast, James Madison. Literally, that's his name. <laughs> How astounding is that? James, Ma- they kicked James Madison out of the convoy. Okay, the next, it was I, I can't remember the exact timeline, but. It comes to the point where, I believe it was that night, the the night of the, yeah, the first, it was, it was the first night, sorry guys, I, I'm trying to make, be honest and accurate. Day one of Coy Griffin's trial, I meet Ricky Bobby. I'd already known James from a few times, I'd bumped into him since Indianapolis. Um, But I meet Ricky Bobby, and they invite me up on their bus, Ricky Bobby's bus. Because he's talking about we should move to this park and Watermelon Park has since come out. People have been talking about it. You know, they had better setups because the convoy had to move from Hagerstown was the myth. I don't know what the truth was. He's like, I'm going to go get up on the stage in the morning and I'm going to take the microphone. A lot happened that morning. That next morning was the same morning that uh, that one like sovereign citizen guy showed up. But, um, well, he knows he's not a citizen at the very least, but. Anyhow, he said, I'm going to take that microphone, I'm going to get up there, and I'm going to tell him about this park, and we need to go down there. How should I get that message out? I don't know why he came to me for advice. I I said, first of all, I wouldn't do that. Like, but I could tell he was just determined. Maybe I could have told him not to. I don't know. I I don't know. I, I might have been able to tell him not to. I said, first of all, I wouldn't do that. Second of all, if I did do that, I would do it like this. And then we had that conversation because I'm not here to... I don't know what people are called to do. Again, guys, I want to see people succeed. So, obviously, we all know what happens. Him and James Madison get kicked out for that. Which is a shame because they were two young, ambitious people thrown out. And they could have really helped create amazing things. Like Ricky Bobby was helping out with the soundstage when the you know when Brian would get up there or anyone would get up there, no one knew how to operate it. Ricky Bobby supplied all the equipment and was there doing that for them. So people sh- shame him all the time, but like, come on, man, that dude was doing so much, and they threw him out for one thing that he wanted to speak his mind one time. Outrageous. So this all comes to spill back on me. 
So day two of the Koi Griffin trial. I say, uh, you know, your freedom rising's there. He's just starting his stream. I was like, bro, I'd been talking to him day one. I couldn't find James Madison. I couldn't get in touch with him. I couldn't get in touch with Ricky Bobby. I'd love to go back down there with them both. And I couldn't. So I get in touch with, you know, your freedom rising. And I'm like, yo, I was telling him the day before, you should come down here with me. Nobody else is going to cover this. It's, it'll be a great experience. And it was, it ended up being so. And he's, he eventually, it's like, okay, fine. At the last minute, he, he comes down and rides with me to DC. We cover the Coy Griffin trial. Amazing interview. Honestly, one of my favorite interviews. Great interview for both of us. And he was down there asking some amazing questions. Both of them are in the intro to this podcast right now, a sound clip. So we go back to camp. James Madison finally gets back in touch with me. Hey, security was looking for you. They want to throw you out. I don't know who the hell security is because it's not White Lightning. Uh, who would later not talk to me because I think he felt like he was going to get thrown out if he associated with me, even though we were tight the whole time. And he that, like that's one rumor, right? But then a second person said, you know, my boy Steve who's still, and he's like not part of the 1776 movement per se. He's just dedicated to being in D.C. every day, shouting the truth. I was camped right next to him. And he said, hey, security was looking to throw you out, this and that. And I said, I'd like to see them try. No, they never did. I, they, they definitely were, and I believe that they were. But they just couldn't. And it would later, it was like a second wave of this came, and it was way stronger and way more intense. And I still stood against it. I stood against X-Ray, who was throwing false accusations at me. You know, because this this came as a wave, like, paranoia was rising. And I'd seen it. It was just ridiculous and absurd. X-Ray, you know, snatching first responder media's camera, his phone, telling him he couldn't stream, disrespecting him, because whatever. You know, maybe that was all that first responder media had to deal with there, but... For me, that was just like one sign of many for, you know, people's character. And I didn't say anything because he didn't say anything. But now I'm just here to spill the truth because X-Ray is still out there just spinning lies, unfortunately. And he's got his own issues going on. And I don't want to concern troll him. But he's not in tune with reality. And I could really get into why, but... He, that being said, and this, this is the balance that I have to strive for. That being said, he orchestrated and held the line for the convoy nonstop. He gave it. He, he he's he's like he's like Ricky Bobby, a lot of energy, very. But he's actually more passionate and more directed. He's like an elder version of Ricky Bobby, where he can just like guide the energy for the most part. But he's still got something. You know, I don't know what has happened in his past that he can't look at. Something happened. And it makes him who he needs to be for now, and that's fine. But after we've seen, you know, him slapping the megaphone at a woman's face, is it, it's a pattern of behavior that's gone back a ways. And I wouldn't even say anything if he didn't do it to me directly, and I was like, whoa, okay. Anyhow. 
We're in Hagerstown having a good old time. Oh, and that being said, as we're in Hagerstown, trucks full of deliveries come in. Like, it was crazy. Like, two or three would come in one day. Trailer fulls of, you know, sometimes it would be a trailer followed by, like, a pickup truck. Sometimes it would be a semi-truck full of donations. It was ridiculous how much support they got. And they're trying to keep it up under these bleachers, keep it dry. You know, that was one of the... Again, I don't know why. I, my thing that I did is I was just like there every time the donations need to be kept dry for the first stage. You know, I was there when they were sitting out on the flatbeds. And the moment they went under the bleachers, they thought the bleachers were dry. I was the first one to go around. Hey, say, hey, you got a you got a tarp. We need to put it up on the bleachers. I found like somebody had a big old one with a, you know, he had one for his flatbed, like a tarp for a flatbed. And we went up there, we put it up there. Ended up not being enough because the bleachers themselves had to be totally covered. And eventually, somebody else figured that out where they covered the entire bleachers with tarps. It was amazing. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just amazing the amount of support. But there was also simultaneously this paranoia that was growing and biting everything in the back end. And so, again, back to the time where Steve tells me, hey, they want to kick you out. James tells me they want to kick you out the day of the Quick Griffin verdict. And it never happened. It never happened. It was just a rumor. And I literally, I went into the Bible and pulled out the verses I knew from memory. And I, I was like, because I knew what was happening to me wasn't fair. And, I, you know, the fact that I had two witnesses for each statement it was true to me. It was that's biblical. You know, if two you have to have two witnesses to witness something. But there's much more to it than that. And this was the thing that would carry through with the convoy for me. The Bible. And I was, you know, your freedom rising is no stranger to, you know, the word and being able to discuss the Bible and the spirit of the, the most high. And I'm sitting there on the way back. I heard these things coming into my ear about, you know, James Madison's like, hey, they're looking for the guy who's talking about me. And I'm like, you know, the Bible says, you know, if you have a claim against your brother, you you address it with him in private. No one addressed me in private about anything. Then you go with another witness and then you say it again. And if he still doesn't listen, then you broaden it out to the church, right? <sighs> And also, there should be two or more witnesses to a crime, right? So, or or at least a, a complaint. To me, it's just a complaint. And it, this isn't a podcast about that. I will make one eventually on that. It's a, it's a very important topic. But lose, and I, I, I spoke on my stream about it one night. But essentially, I knew that I didn't do anybody any wrong directly. No one could say, hey, you did this to me. And no one had. And that if somebody did, I'm willing to listen to it. And I'm ready. And no one ever brought a complaint against me. It was just all rumors and just people trying to raise a crowd against me like they did, you know, Ricky Bobby and all this. And so <laughs> I'm experiencing that. And it was that Friday of the Coy Griffin verdict. I don't know when the verdict was. Um... That Friday, no, it was, thir was it Thursday? It might have been Thursday. Whenever Brian came back after a long, Brian was gone for a while. And Brian was very much about, oh, we need the streamers, you know. And that was a long time after X-Ray 
assaulted, you know, first responder media allegedly and took his camera. And um, Brian was very much about that, almost too much so where I was just like, oh, this is land even be a, like, I don't even want to stream anymore. He's being so adamant about it, but I get why he was doing it because, you know, it's the way to get the message out. You know, X-Ray was so adamant against streamers, and guess what he later did? Became a streamer. So, you know, talk about <laughs> just hypocrisy. Anyhow, I I love X-Ray. Listen, guys, I'm going to be very critical on him going forward because he was very critical of me. He laid lies against me. He slandered me or libeled me. I don't know which one it is, but he did. And he had no qualms about it. He never apologized, and he continues to do what he's doing today. So, that being said, I suppose it's really time to wrap up my time in D.C. This, like, I could really make this a 7, 20, 30, 40-part series. But I'm just trying to, like, give you the overarching things about my experience and what I've seen and why I'm so critical of the 1776 movement today. Because I know the characters involved, including Big D, who was awesome to me until he wasn't. For no freaking reason, he turned on me. But that being said, I don't want to harp much on the convoy anymore. Um, we wrapped up our time in D.C. They announced we're going back across the country. I'd bought a new car. I hadn't had a car in years. I bought a car, um, you know, by <laughs> and by <laughs> that sounds like I had some kind of money. I didn't. I just, you know, I said to my mom. Can you help me get a car? Co-sign it for me. I didn't put any... I, and my goal was to put nothing down, get a car that I wanted. And I did. And I still have it. And I didn't have to make a payment for 45 days or so. So when I say got a new car, I was paying $250 a week in a rental at this point. So even if I had to, You know, the car I have now is roughly 500 a month. That's not 250 a week. So... It's a step in the right direction. So for me, that was just natural to save money. I got something I could sleep in, too, that was comfortable. Because what I was sleeping in with my giant German Shepherd was not comfortable. Like, I was sleeping in the hatchback of a CX-30 Mazda. Like, no room. Like, it, it with stuff. Like, I mean, crazy. Anyhow. I get that done. We had west and next week i'll say you know i'll carry on that story but for now i want to hit back to the same the theme that i'm carrying through with why any movement a convoy a movement the 70 76 movement will fail it's going to fail and this is really just like you know this is just a lens through which i can begin to discuss the things that I need to. The government and the way people perceive it has been manipulated for thousands of years. There is a natural law. There is a way things should be. There is a self-evident path of truth 
in the law. But if you don't know that, if you don't have time for it, you get lost along the way. And that goes into many different topics and many different discussions. And people can debate and this and that. But that is just part of that. That's actually just part of being able to stand up for your rights. Our rights come from what? The Most High. God. The natural being of life. So we can't deny that ever. Our rights come from God. They can, and I'm I'm speaking in God. I don't like that word God. I say the Most High, but whatever, just for sake of conversation, our rights come from God. They come from nature. They are self-evident. They are not from the Constitution. The Constitution is a blatant barrier between the Most High's rights and what the government's actions can be. But we've got it all so flipped upside down that we think that our rights come from the Constitution, but then once you get past the fact that they don't come from the Constitution, that they're just self-evident, that you think that... It gets confusing, guys. I'm not going to go into all the different theories about how people think it works and how it really works. I'm just going to stick to how things really are. Our rights self-evidently are inherent when we are born. What we are faced with now is more and along the lines of a corporatocracy, a, a corpus oration, a, the dead speaking, a corporation. And if you're lost right now, Give it five years and come back because this information is not for you. You're not advanced enough to hear this. A corporation, a corpus oration, the dead speaking life. How's that possible? Well, it's not. Especially, especially when the dead aren't actually living beings that died. They're just dead to begin with. Yet we live in a society, for whatever reason, that the people are so divorced from the source of their life, their being, that they don't know where their rights come from, they don't know where the government gets power from, that corporations, the dead, speaking, guides society because of convenience. Now... Most people, right, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I have one person listening at this point. You are who I'm trying to reach. With, like, with everything I do, I have, like, an audience of one. And not beyond myself. There's someone out there that gets what I'm saying and needs this message. All the others, you just got to, like, chill and relax and, you know, really evaluate yourselves. Because what I'm saying is true. We have corporations owning property. Now, you'll be like, well, the government owns property, too. Well, the government is not much more than a corporation. It's a corporation owned by a nation. Okay? So, there are levels and layers to this. A nation... And I'm just laying it all out. 
Okay, and maybe there's not even one of you that understands what I'm saying. I know what I'm saying. I'm 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 showing through words the entire onion of law and government. The government is a mutual agreement between people, living beings, to govern ideas, to control ideas. So the government is above all ideology. It is not above us as individuals, as living beings. As living beings, nothing can stand against us lest we trespass upon our neighbor. When we trespass on someone else, they have a right to do what must be done. <laughs> but none of that involves governments or corporations or paperwork. We're so... I'm, it's so... It's so specific. We are so far gone as society. And this I this has to do with why the People's Conway failed. It does. Because it's a false ideology. Anytime you get in a group and you try to identify with a group or a movement, it will fail eventually. It's up to us as individuals recognizing that we are created by the Most High. To make the right decisions in our own lives. And there's a lot to that in itself. And the reasons that this is the way it is and the how this is problematic, I, I know it's a lot to digest. Just grasp the fact that I'm someone who dropped out of what people would call, you know, the mainstream way of life 12 years ago. And I've had a lot of challenges to face, and I've seen a lot. You know, I've been a lot of protests, but I've always sought the truth, and I've always found it. And the People's Convoy was the closest I've seen to a group of people coming together to make something real happen. But that being said, the Most High gives us each the power every day to make changes in our own lives. To look to the Most High for the truth, not the government. And that really gets to the core of the issue. And I'll touch on this and I'm going to end this podcast for now. And we'll do part three where we go from D.C. back to California and back to D.C. And... Really, we'll go into part four by the 1776 Restoration Movement. How that's going. Anytime we attempt to attach ourselves to a group as if that group is going to save us, we failed to recognize our individual connection with the Most High first and foremost. And a lot of that just comes through real hard work and real hard labor. Splitting wood, putting plants in the garden and raising them, having to raise your own food, having to... Go out to the stream and draw bath water. Having to raise beams up in a home without technology. We live in such a convenient life. We're becoming divorced from the reality of nature and the natural rights we have. And it's been happening for hundreds of years. Hundreds. And to fix this, it's going to take hundreds of years. 
And that's part of the fun. Like, that's part of the, the greatness of it. Because we can write right now directives for our family. We can really build our family lineage again in ways that won't be lost again. And correct humanity in a way it has not been corrected before. You know, there's so many records for things nowadays that we can put it, once once it's digital, we can print it physically. Once it's physical, you know, you have a physical copy. Store it. Store it in a thousand locations. We have the means by which to shape the future in a deep way. Each one of us, like, in a way where it's not just you know, a hundred people who are famous from a time period. It's thousands, millions, people well known by their families. Where we get where nobody's even worldwide famous anymore. But we know where we come from and the leaders that came before us on a much more personal, local basis. And that's the stupidest thing about the People's Convoy the the 1776 movement is it's focused on the nation and the federal government. There's so many ways to control the federal government. And they start locally. And they grow from there. That's honestly all I have to say for this episode of Podcasts I Write Yourselves. Thank you for listening. And remember, while the revolution may not be televised, we shall podcast I Write Yourselves. If you want to reach out to me about that writing opportunity, it's contact at healinglaw.com. And, you know, feel free to reach out to me about the, about the way you, you know, whatever else is going on in your life. I'm looking for writers on a website, and I'd like to see you there. If you're passionate about what you believe in, I just don't have the time to share my writing on another way. And, again... This is not a paid opportunity, but it's an opportunity that you can learn from me about what I know about writing online, and I know a lot. It's honestly how I, it's my staple. And from there, you know, you never know what's going to happen, but we need to begin to write our own destinies. And we need, the only way to write wrong is to begin to write. Anyhow. Thanks for listening, y'all. I'll see you next week when I hit up part three of why the People's Convoy failed and why 1776 will fail. We'll talk more. We'll talk more. Anyhow, y'all have a good night. Be well.